Greetings, salutations, and welcome to Retrek. I'm Captain Jim. With me, as always, is Admiral Elliot. Hi there. But joining us for a very special Christmas edition of The Road to Picard is Dr. Squee. Hello. And Ambassador Nicola. Hello. So we've got the full Retrek family yeah, nice together. Nice to have you with us, guys. Yeah, um, I, I'm sorry, I had to go back to Starfleet Medical for a season, so I hope Pulaski was okay in my absence. <laughs> <laughs> no, we sacked her off straight away. <laughs> Poor... Well, what you did with her in your own free time is your business. Yeah. I always felt a little bit bad for Diane Muldax. I, I, I kind of felt like she knew she wasn't going to be there for long. She was always listed as special appearance yeah. by... Yeah, never... she was every regular cast. Yeah, never it. put her on credits, it was... Were quite peculiar really but um if you heard her an interview i don't think there's any laugh loss there is there not no i've never funnily enough i've not you know become a huge fan of her after a, a brief stint in tng there but um so you've joined us funnily enough you talk about dr pulaski because um you wanted to look at the episode shades of gray didn't you isn't that what's um brought you back into the fold I mean, I, it's as tempting as that is. I think there's a better episode we might visit. Oh, <laughs> Go on then, because it's Christmas, we'll let you off the the shades. We're going to have to do that at some point, though, aren't I we? Know. Well, we've got to do them all at some point. Yeah, we'll we'll so do it. Just, just 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 playing clips of you talking about the other episodes involved, and you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. Actually, we'll do that. That's don't copyright that idea. So we'll have that, and we'll just yeah. We do have to do justice as well. I, I don't mind justice. I think we could do that one as our drunk episode. It's, yeah. <laughs> um, Remind me, which is just, uh, which just justice? The one where Wesley knocks a plant pot over and they're going to shoot him. Yeah, there's, oh yeah. Yeah, no wonder I fucked <laughs> it from my memory. No, it's, it's fine. It's, yeah. It's a Wesley episode. What can you say? This is it. And it one, is... the earlier, one of the earlier Wesley episodes, but mind you, nothing against Will Wheaton or Wesley in general, but some of the Wesley heavy episodes, yeah, not the best. It's all right. We have to say that every week yeah. <laughs> since we've been talking yeah, about we have Wesley. Nothing against Will Wheaton, but we knock out Wesley a little bit. We do. <laughs> anyway. On a regular basis. <laughs> So the episode that has brought you back is Chain of Command that we're going to be looking at. So Season 6, TNG, firing on all cylinders at this time. Star Trek's growing in popularity. DS9's about to launch. And we get this mid-season two-parter. Like, we'd done done a mid-season two-parter once before. They did Unification in Season 5. But Season 6 got a bit keen with it. Like, there's this one, then there's Birthright. Yeah. Um, Birthright, not as good but this one's rightly sort of heralded as a classic and we're gonna take a stroll through it this episode and see what we think about all of it so before we dig into the episode though, what was it for you guys or Squee particularly what is it about this one that made you want to come back and talk about it? Yeah, I mean, um, shall I kick off? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean for me it's... uh, it's a really fantastic two-parter for a number of reasons. The main one has to be the acting porn, which is part two. Between It's, it's a double-hander, basically, between David Warner and uh, Patrick Stewart. And those two bouncing off each other is just magical. You've got two of the finest actors of our generation. And part one's great. And they, they, all the stuff with Jericho. And there's a wonderful kind of framework around it and wonderful setup. And it's all wonderful. 
but nothing beats those two playing off each other for yeah. me. Uh, Nicola? No, I was just going to agree with you, actually. Those scenes were brilliant. Um, when you said what is about that one, I was going to say it's top-heavy Patrick <laughs> yeah yeah so you know what more do you want really than that and yeah i thought it was a great one but actually back back um on the enterprise um uh you had sort of the riker issues and i thought that was really well paid as well. yeah and it's very interesting yeah. we'll get into it obviously but we, we we found that interesting watching it back whose side we were, side we were on at which points yeah which we'll get into but um it, it's also like you say about like um, I mean I was saying about uh, how much acting porn it is those two working off each other uh, David Warner and Patrick Stewart mm. but it's also just the fact that there's nothing too much to distract you literally he is stripped bare on say Patrick Stewart yep. and it's just the two of them there's no uh, over the top scenery it's all down to them and how fantastic they are as actors. You know, you can have some wonderful acting in a big action film, but, you know, just when everything else is stripped away and you can still be that spellbinding, that is just something remarkable. So are you actually saying that you wanted to do this one today because Patrick Stewart was naked? I mean, I think that's the essence of what I just said. Yeah, I don't think I said anything else there. Yeah. Patrick Stewart's naked, that's why we wanted to do Yeah. I mean, weirdly enough, like, I just found this out today when I was doing a bit of research for this episode, is it wasn't meant to be a two-parter at first. They broke it as, like, one episode, and it was meant to be... Uh, Picard had got captured a lot sooner, and then he'd have been rescued at the end, and they said, mainly for budgetary reasons, they thought, well, if we expand it out to two, and we just have Patrick and a guest star in a room, it'll save us some money, and we can do an episode out, and that's how it came about and like you say it's what they get from it is incredible but the fact that it came about so they were trying to save a few bob is you know just baffling and i know when you sort of spoke to david warner earlier this year like he was cast at very short notice and he only he had, had a four, few days. Had four days notice and then you look at the performance he gives and you think christ he only had four days to get ready for this that's yeah, we're going to play in the uh, club later on in the show, I believe. But, I mean, just one thing you won't... You might hear it, actually, in the audio. The moment when David Warner say, said he had four days to prepare that role, you might hear my jaw dropping and hitting the floor yeah. of the room we were in. Yeah, I think you actually sort of staggered back a few <laughs> steps and <laughs> David Warner was about to phone an ambulance. He thought you'd had a funny turn or something, but... Um, yeah, I mean, it is incredible. And we will... That sort of performance with no no real time to prepare. Exactly. It's it's just crazy, and it shows how good they are. But, yeah, let's let's dig into the episode then, and we'll... Because we, we risk sort of hitting all the points before yeah. we, we get through it. Yeah. So, we start off in this one then. It's got a really cool sort of opening teaser. Like, we, we've talked in a few past episodes, Elliot, how some of the TNG teasers can be a bit lame. Yeah. Like, it'll just be, oh, uh, the lights are flickering a bit. And it, what? But, you know, this one is Admiral Nechev's here. Picard, we're relieving your command. Yeah. Boom. So it's, Boom. A, <laughs> it's a pretty audacious sort of opener. And it, it doesn't... It doesn't give any clues as to where the story's going to go. You know, you, from that, you're not going to think, oh, this is going to be do with Cardassians and Picard's off on a secret like mission. Klingons or... But it, it's a really good sort of way of sucking you in straight away from the off and it gets you interested in what's going to come, which TNG doesn't always do with its teasers. So 
I'm a I'm a big fan of yeah. the the opening right from the start, and then Necheyev sort of briefs everybody, doesn't she? And it's uh, Picard, Worf, Crusher are off on this mission. The Cardassians are mobilizing, yeah, and something peculiar is going on, and it's it's good because the you don't always get the threat of the Cardassians, but I think it's necessary for for DS9. I mean, what was what was your guys' take on at this point? I mean, you remember watching TNG DS9 when it started. What were your thoughts on the Cardassians, first of all? Do they work as a villain or I mean I think they're really fully I mean this this is no how many times have they appeared by this day? This is only about the third time, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, they were in the wounded. Yeah, and, and they've, yeah. They've, they've they've changed a lot. Yeah, for this. I think this is the point where you see that they've come into their own. They know what they are as as an episode. The ones that you see here, the Kardashians you see here, are the Kardashians you see in Deep Space Nine. Yeah. They're kind of like they're ready now. You know, there's yeah. really a bit like the dodgy moustaches and stuff, which doesn't really work, doesn't really look uh, perfect. But even those earlier episodes, you had that wonderful uh, stuff with uh, Conmini as um, as O'Brien. Mm. And he's so tortured by war. And they gave him, I, I think his reaction almost set up who they were. Like, and obviously you had straight from uh, the beginning, I think it was Mark, um, the guy who played Gold. Dis- Michaelena. Yeah. Yeah, he does. So see- he's in those early episodes, isn't he? He's in that first episode, yes. I believe. Yeah, he plays, and- he don't play Goldie Cat, but he plays another Cardassian. Yeah. With, with uh, a little and beard. I think just straight off the bat, you're, you're setting up that race really well but you know here is where and look and feel everything they are the race we come to know and yeah. uh, no i was just going to say exactly that and during the torturing process um you know they're not afraid to use their gadgets are they and they're not afraid to torture so yeah is it, uh, is it a case of are they a good baddie well what more do you want in a baddie other than torture <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean if they're prepared to go that far and and this probably is the um the further the, the uh, Star Trek show certainly at this stage can go showing torture mm. like it's really quite brutal you know but it doesn't go into that realm of being uh, gratuitous no and you know so yeah they're willing to do it but the psychological torture really yeah, isn't absolutely. shied away from yeah that's it it's it's that thing of sort of skirting around the ratings isn't it like yeah it's what uh, you can get away with as long as you don't show blood or breaking bones the psychological stuff you can get away with is really quite it's disproportionate, really, yeah. in terms of what you can show in terms of somebody being damaged mentally. It's. I wonder where it'd stand now, actually, because we're a lot more sensitive to that sort of stuff in this day and age than you we were back then. You probably would be allowed then. to do the same psychological stuff, mm. but you could have a lot more blood and gore in there. We've gone like the other way. Which is a shame, because the blood and gore is the stuff which usually ages because special effects or, you know, yeah, new types yeah, of yeah. Else. And plus, to be honest with you, you can only be affected by that once or twice before you get used to where the jump scares are. Psychological is so much more effective. Yeah, like, yeah. every time I watch the episode back, I just think it's like, oh, that's really yeah. kind of unnerving. And the, the, the thing of using the light, it's just so cleverly done. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, it's a, a game of chess, really, between the two... I mean, again, we'll we'll get into it a bit later on, but they're, they're both trying to one-up each other in a way and trying to get one over. But before we get to Picard and Madrid, then we get this tension between Jellico and Riker, and it starts off 
more or less as soon as he gets on the ship, like Riker's sort of a bit put out, you know, uh, how come you're not just making me the captain, you know, if Picard's been relieved temporarily, why am I not doing it? And so it sets up Jellicoe as antagonistic to an extent with Riker, and he starts strutting around changing things, he wants four shifts, he wants this, that, and the other, and... It, it does set up this thing, and you guys alluded to it. So, start us off then. Where where are you in this debate at this time? Are you Team Riker? Are you Team Jellico? Well, the thing is, is is he's not Jellico's not very far off what a manager usually does. I mean, I'm not saying yeah. all managers, yeah. but they come into a position and they try and assert their power, don't they? By saying, "I oh, want well, this changed, I want that changed," and you are, I am the manager here, and you are not. So it kind of like reminded me of very much like a normal job. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's also been go, sent. Oh, well, if we just if we just pander to him, it's also so been sent in though with a brief chat the Enterprise ready to lead the fleet in a war against yeah. the Cardassians. Yeah, he's <laughs> he's been sent in with a brief what he's got to do. He's and doing. He hasn't got a lot of time to do it, and he, and he says and this: "I haven't got time to pander about. I need these things doing straight away. We need to be ready." But I think there is a bit of saber rattling, as as uh, I, I think so. I think I mean he is obviously going in with his whole authoritative nature. Um, so at that point, we were kind of siding probably with Riker. Well, I mean, I, 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 sulk, I, we I think it's a bit of both. I think it's in equal measure. Here's like you know, Elliot says: there is a certain thing of he's got to do a lot of things in a short period of time. But you know, I think it's heavily suggested if not out and out said that this guy is a bit of a dick who just likes things how he wants and yeah. it doesn't matter who he upsets to get them done yeah but I, I think for me it's the whole thing of um but like i see riker has been quite petulant and they're like watching this back yeah. really because when you originally watch it when you're younger you obviously you're just on the side of your, your heroes that you know yeah. whereas when you watch it back as an adult you see it's like well, no, Riker, first thing, well, the first thing he does is disobey his order and goes, I was going to tell you about that. Doesn't go, right, I, I can do that, but these are repercussions. He just goes straight into disobeying his orders yeah. and not putting them in place yeah. and then explaining it afterwards. And then only when he asks, he doesn't come up to him going, look, I didn't do this and this is why. Even, even that's bad enough, but he doesn't even do that. He waits yeah, until, he waits until he's told. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. Like, Riker is acting like a petulant kid. It's like, all right, you know, your captain has given you a direct order, albeit it's one that you may not agree with and you may have reasons for not agreeing with it, but you just don't do it. And then, effectively, it puts Jellico in a position where he could be quite embarrassed because it's like, can Delta Shift do this? Oh, there is no Delta Shift. You'd be like, well, hang on a minute. The bloody should be a Delta Shift because yeah, I told I'm, you there should be. Make sure that we have four shifts. And yeah, it is just, well, I didn't carry out your order and um, I was going to tell you about it later on. That's really unprofessional. Yeah. But yeah. I suppose it, it speaks to Riker and Picard's relationship that Riker knows that if Picard gave him an order and he didn't follow it, he would then find a quiet minute to have a discussion, whereas he's not had the chance to do that with Jellico because Jellico works in a different way. So and that's is... once you've built up that relationship. Yeah. yeah. So there yeah. is a little bit of Riker's still trying to do things his way, but it's not Jellico's way. So that there is just a bit of a, a miscommunication there. But I do think Riker's in the wrong. It's... It is like. He's had five and a half years working with Picard. Yeah. He has a very different relationship. And this is a brand new commanding officer. And the first thing he's done is disobey his first order. 
And the thing is, what he should have done is switched the shifts round, added a delta shift, and then he should have gone, right, Captain, I've put your delta shift in, in place, but Commander Steve's just blown his head off because of fatigue, so clearly it's not working. Obviously, you make <laughs> well, up actually, Commander Steve. Uh, doing the four shift rotation is actually reducing the workload. You'd think so, yeah. He's putting them down to a six-hour shift instead of an eight-hour shift. <laughs> well, yeah. it depends on then uh, how like you could be um, going into different shifts. I don't know. I, I, I don't, don't know. know how, I didn't get the actual shift rotation, but, yeah. but it's also things like, to me, um, like, you know, again, it's kind of two separate things. So, like, Riker, I think we all agree, didn't handle it well and no. kind of is put his nose out of joint because things have changed from how he likes them and he maybe had a bit more latitude with the card which he doesn't like the fact that it's gone but then you get uh, Jellico goes um, against Troy who does come in in the right way and talks yep. to him in the right way and kind of like uh, works with him but and then, then she gets a flea in her ear and told to dress appropriately yeah yeah then, then <laughs> actually I think this is one of the best things Jellico did warranted it <laughs> Putting Troy in a uniform was one of the best things he did. Because she should have been in the uniform for ages. Because she has been abused as a character for five and a half years before this. No, I'm not saying, yeah, of course she wasn't. She was in the right outfit. But actually, the outfit she was in talking in wasn't awful. It was a... It wasn't a chimney. No, no, but but I, I so I agree with Eddie's point. Like, <laughs> it's fine that she, he said, "Oh, you know, wear a uniform." I prefer to be professional on the bridge. That'll yeah. make sense. It's more the case if he was just like, um, "Oh, so people got a problem? Yeah, you deal with it." It's like that. That, right that was wrong. That right. part of it was wrong. But it's part where he put her in a uniform was spot on. Oh, that's fine. I'm just talking about his general attitude. And it's more shown up in yeah. his reaction to someone very reasonably talking to him as she does. Yeah, it is. Right, going in, going, yeah, yeah I want like this. That's just a pissing contest between those two, basically. Yeah. They're both kind of in the wrong, really. And what? But, but, you know, he didn't deal with it from the get-go very well, as in Riker. Yeah, yeah, I mean, what that's showing, as you say, is Jellico isn't, is inflexible regardless of how the problems are presented to him or by who. You know, it, <laughs> He is getting this a bit of pushback from Riker, and he, you know, in some cases he's in the right. But yeah, when the but how Troy does it is professional. Yeah, she does when, it in the right way. She explains uh, what yeah. the problem is. When the counselor of the ship tells you that there's a problem, um, you know, on a morale level and whatnot, you do need to do something about it. And he he falls back on at this point. Well, I haven't got the time to do it, and. You know, I'm sorry, you've got to make the time to do it. You're still the captain. You, you've still got to take this situation and you do need to deal with it. But yeah, and I agree with the thing about the uniform. What I don't like about that exchange is that Troy looks a little bit annoyed about it at first and it's like, well, you know, it's not unreasonable that you're expected to, to, be in uniform to wear Starfleet uniform. You, exactly. So I... I I don't get where she's coming from there. It would just be a case of, oh, okay, it's like, you know, you worked a job for years where you weren't allowed to grow a beard. And, you know, when I go to job interviews, I take my earrings out, you know. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's just... I've had to wear a uniform at pretty much every job I've ever had. Yeah. one type or another. And I, th I think and the I don't, I don't go... I don't go Oh, I don't fancy that. I'm off to go in jeans and t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I can offer as, as someone who's worked as a counsellor, so I can literally talk to this uh, side of it, is that uh, sometimes as a counsellor, you do dress appropriately to... Like, the reason why you might not wear a uniform is because 
the uniform can carry some kind of like expectations with it. Yeah. If you send something more neutral, it means people can talk to you more openly. But that should be in the there should be something in the dress code to cover that. That if you're yeah. a counselor, you are permitted to wear this. If that isn't in the dress code, then he's in his rights to do that. But there is a common sense to not wearing a uniform when you're being counselor in session, certainly. Maybe she should be wearing it on the bridge and stuff, but then when you're in session, well, you wear something did, a bit well, more... It does uh, actually oh, say, oh, I, I like some formality on my bridge. On the bridge. And I, I imagine that Jellico does not give a toss whatsoever what she's wearing in the counselling sessions. I don't well, even it, think... It, it's how she's when she's on duty on the bridge. Yeah, it's not something that he's bothered about. That yeah. So... Other stuff we've got going on in this first episode, then. We, we've got Picard training with Troy and with... Uh, not with Troy, Crusher. sorry, with uh, Crusher and with Worf. And it's the kind of this, like, Black Ops thing yeah. that they're doing and everything. And you see sort of the toll that it's taking on Picard. Because, you know, you have this bit where Riker goes to see him, but he's just too wiped out to even... Well, it was have to go talk to Picard about Jellicoe. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Or take yeah. his problems to Picard, but it rightly so didn't when he saw yeah. how how worn Picard was. And he, he do, Picard does a call back to the marathon again, doesn't yeah. he? Like, he says, I've not been this tired since uh, I trained for the marathon and everything, which is something that we keep getting little allusions to and everything, which we've we've talked about before is in Picard's biography. Yeah, it's the only first year cadet to win the win, it. win the marathon. Honestly, you'd think that whoever wrote that biography was sponsoring this programme the amount of times we've mentioned it during Road Come to Picard. David, send us some dosh. I'm gonna say or <laughs> you know, a free copy of the book and Yeah, that'd nice. be nice. A free copy of his next couple of books. That'd be alright, but no, we're probably not gonna see that. But never mind. <laughs> You so, just reminded me there, do you remember the Truman Show as a film? Yes, and, yes. Uh, that was based on the reality show. They kept sort of putting little hints of yeah. like a coffee in with a named coffee or a named yeah. Yeah. soda. Or Actually, I just got that. you this new coffee, which is <laughs> yes. extra roast. Yeah, I think you're really going to love and it. I found it very refreshing. There's many other good brands. Sure, honey. Than <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Truman Show, like, I remember when it came out, everyody said, oh, this is ridiculous. Nobody's going to watch someone sleeping 24 hours a day. And then you jump yeah. forward five years and we got Big Brother, and that's exactly <laughs> what people are doing. Uh, oh, absolutely crazy. Well, I wasn't. I, I can honestly say I have never watched a full episode of that. Well, Big Brother? Yeah. Oh, you should do. It's awesome. No, no time. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's gone now, isn't it? now. Yeah. Yeah. So, there is a little bit, though, where we see Picard and Jellico sort of talking captain to captain. And I found this really interesting because Jellico does treat Picard totally differently because he's on the same level as him. Yeah. He's got does this he bit. Do? I think does he, he does. does. He does to a certain extent. He starts doing that. And then the second Picard offers him a friendly captain to captain bit of advice about the crew that he knows. He's like, you don't need to nurse made me anyway. Like, uh, oh, yeah, right. He's good. Yeah, sure. He is. You know, it's like he does. He's quite dismissive of some very basic advice. And, you know, to me, you just go, OK, thank you very much. Like, and then afterwards, yeah, yeah. Think, bullshit, you ignore it. But, you know, there was some common courtesy you give to another captain True. of yeah. yeah, I think he's... I mean, I do think he, he does deal with Picard differently, but you, you're quite right that... He should be listening to advice on what the crew yeah, would say. Yeah, he, 
he do, he becomes his own worst enemy in a way that he's I've got to come in and do all this thing, but I'm going to do it exactly my way, and I'm not going to waver in my approach to it. And that sort of takes us into what he does for the rest of the episode, which is it's this thing of when he's got the Cardassian guy coming over. And he's like, I'm going to make him wait in the ready room. Well, oh, he, he, waits in the he has experience room. of dealing with the Kardashians. That's why he was given yeah, yeah. his demand. So he's actually dealing with the Kardashians, how you should deal with the Kardashians. Yeah. No, I, th- I think this is really good from Jellico. I mean, again, it's not the way Picard would have done no. it. And he should have probably briefed Riker and Troy before he started this charade. Um, but I like the way he plays the mind games with him that is, I'm going to make him wait. You've got to go in and tell him that I'm a loose cannon. And he, he's, yeah. he's been performative. He's acting like up to it. It's obviously been done this way to keep the story moving, how he does it as you're going along telling Riker and Troy what to do. But you're right. They should have been briefed about this is how this is going to go in advance. Well, I mean, I think that's the good thing. It's like it doesn't have him as a one-dimensional character <coughs> who's just brash and rubbish at his job. He's good at his job in certain ways. Like, he's really good. He knows uh, how to treat uh, diplomats from different worlds differently yeah. to, as the situation dictates. He knows that that brashness and that ballsiness of keeping them waiting will work to earn their respect. But what he hasn't got in his own arrogance is the fact that, as you say, he talks to his crew first. So I think it it kind of shows two things in one hit very nicely. So it doesn't make him a perfect character, but it doesn't make him a rubbish character. It's, you know, it shows his faults and, and his uh, good qualities all at once. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, he's he's capable. He, he's not... It's not like we're looking at this character... And going, oh, Riker needs to stage a mutiny here because this guy cannot run a ship. He absolutely can run a ship. He is very capable in what he's doing. It's just that he's quite... Moving people up the wrong way. Exactly. Nicola, what what were you going to say? Sorry. No, no, nothing. I was just going to add in that I think that from the start they've kind of explained very well because obviously with um, Jean-Luc Picard leaving the ship, they've kind of explained very well at every turn the different things i.e um they've sort of said oh jellico is a better negotiator he's done it for longer with the Cardassians." Da, da, da. um uh, i think they've the, we know the reasons why he's do you know what does that make sense what i'm yeah. trying to say yeah, yeah. so they've kind of set the plot very well i think on this one to know yeah. why everything's happening if that makes yeah. sense and this is yeah, the thing so. like not every captain is jean-luc picard and you know it's not often we get to see the broader star trek universe yeah. away from our characters and then we get you know we're seeing there are other captains who do things differently but they can still be good captains you know they can still be effective and you know jellico is an example of that but and also i think it shows something you've just made me think like uh, it shows something about how a captain picks the crew that works best for them yeah so when you implant in this captain who's got really brash style probably on his own ship he does a wonderful job and his crew is selected to know how to work with a captain yeah, and he's probably come off he's probably left a crew that absolutely love him and adore having him as captain yeah 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 like they they probably like having a taskmaster who will well, challenge them in that yeah. way and whereas the Enterprise crew are used to someone who's more of a diplomat who will work with them and inspire them in yeah. that way. Yeah. 
so like I, I can imagine Picard goes onto the other ship and he's really nice to everyone and they're going it's like yeah but what are we doing come on yeah, yeah. I don't want him to be more commanding and more yeah. um not that Picard obviously isn't commanding but more uh, abrasive really they're yeah. probably used yeah. to that management style yeah, like you're doing this da 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 Right yeah. yeah, yeah, they don't want to be kind of overly coddled, like uh, like um, Jericho says. Whereas Picard's crew, who he selected, and over time you naturally select them to be able to work with you because certain crew members won't work out; they'll leave, other ones will come in. So after five years or whatever, you've got the crew which works perfectly with you, and you know you then implant this other very specific style of command captain, and it doesn't work. You see many football managers doing the same thing; they've managed yeah. to do yeah. for years. Yeah. And then suddenly get a new manager, and it just doesn't work. Players get yeah. sold. New players. Like the oh, what was the one the Leeds guy that was in the film The Damned United, uh, uh, Brian yeah, Clough. Clough. Yeah. And Clough came into Leeds, and he just could not get anything out of them. Yeah. And they were they were an incredible team at the time, but he just couldn't, couldn't get make it work. get out of him. And he was a great manager. Yeah, um, what, what many people Michael Sheen played. I, I yes. <laughs> That was when he was in his I'm impersonating people phase, which yeah. <laughs> he's, he's kind of gone back into his playing Chris Tarrant in a film about the the millionaire where the guy tried to scam it and all that business. And yeah, they're doing dramatisation of it. Yeah, which, yeah, Ingram was the guy. Ingram, that was it. And yeah. everybody carried on. It's like, it's fraud. It's like, it's not fraud. It's cheating at a bloody game show. Yeah. Get over, you know, calm down. Anyway. I'm I, I myself am being played by Martin Sheen today. Yes, excellent. Yeah. And you're doing a really good job. Why, thank you. <laughs> so, back to Picard then. So, we get the the bit. The, they're going through the mission. They stop along the way for Dr. Crusher to um, perform a mock. <laughs> and, you know, this is something we talked about the other week, is, didn't we? Like, In, but, like, what we've got here, though, is Dr. Crusher... She knows what she's doing. She knows anatomy <laughs> yeah. of, of a lot of species. She's fully aware that she's wanking off this Ferengi in the middle of the park. <laughs> it, it is wanking off a Ferengi. The new podcast went off the retrack. Well, it, it, it does happen. It does with... happen quite often, does this? And yeah, like you say, Dr. Crusher should know yeah. better, really. But I mean, yeah. They, anyway, they do. No, this. She's all up for it, though. Oh, she it is. Knows exactly and where to touch. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's you know, it's it's not, it's not. We've talked about this a little bit before, haven't we? There, it's it really is. If you take a step back from it, out of line that Starfleet officers think it's okay to sexually gratify Ferengi in order to <laughs> get the what they want to get what they want. You know, and this is another example of it. That ultimately, then we end up. They get captured because it's yeah. all been a it's all been a ruse, it's all been a trap, and this is where we get the reveal of David Warner as Gold Madrid and but we have quite a nice little bit between Crusher and Wharf before Oh this, yeah. Where the they enter the cave system and this bat f- flies past and Wharf's scared and Crusher yeah. needles him. Oh you're not scared of bat sire but then they have to go abseil yeah. and he's oh you're not scared of height sire and yeah. just having little digs at yeah. each other. And you get that, you know, this is a show that's been running a while, so things like that do feel real, that yeah. you've got characters who know each other that well and can have the sort of banter and everything. So, yeah, it's nice. Like we said, once TNG got past, like, the middle of season three, 
it, it's got an easy chemistry to everything and it runs nicely and you can have these nice little character beats and yeah it's yeah it's just an example of that but um yeah so Gul Madred comes in and it, i remember when we saw him at the convention one of the things he, he was very sort of humble about his acting like he said you know i don't do it it's all there in the script and everything but even going from this opening scene all Gul Madred does really is reads Picard's serial number out to him. But the amount of menace that he manages to put in reading a string of numbers with yeah. a couple of dashes, you know, that is down to the acting. That is that is not in the script. It's really impressive stuff. And so Squee, what do, what do you think about this introduction to him at the start? I mean, uh, there was a deleted scene actually in this bit. I don't know if you guys are aware of it. Go. But uh, Picard offers to blow him if he lets him go, but that was turned <laughs> down by him. So they, he was watching. They just didn't think it fit with a two-parter, though. Uh, <laughs> no, sorry. Uh, yeah, no, it's great. It's a great introduction. You just got this just one moment, and I think that's why this is such a genius two-parter because the, the Jer- Jericho Jellico stuff is really dynamite. Yeah, and so is the stuff with the torture, but kind of like you get a bit of the kind of like introduction of uh, Picard being captured and everything at the end of part one but yeah. it's really the Jericho episode and you get um, a bit of Jericho in the second part but really it's the torture episode definitely yeah and it's... it's a really have your cake and eat it too you've got two wonderful single episodes but it does work as a smooth two-parter as well um, and I just love the, the way they do that so it doesn't feel like it's um, tacked on at all as a two-parter but it also feels like each part's got a life of its own like it's fine to do a, a, a hour and a half long story uh, without breaks obviously uh, but it's an hour and a half worth of TV time of a two-parter which is just one long story but I also really like it when they meant to split up the two parts and still have a really nice overarching story like that. Like yeah, as, as a really nice cliffhanger. Yeah, it really does. Like this would have uh, worked as a season finale cliffhanger. Yeah, it would. And it, it does. It, it clears the deck nicely, but part two does have a completely different flavour to part one. And it it is one of the few sort of Trek two-parters where part two is not a letdown after part one. Yeah. If anything, in this one, it's kind of the other way. It's like, when you're watching it back, you want to get to part two, because that's where all the juicy stuff is. Even though part one is a good episode in and of itself. But, um, yeah, it's a good sort of ending to it. And, well, before we move on to part two, then, Squee, can you tell us a little bit about what you've got coming up on Gallifrey Stands at the moment? Well, it's something which we've just released. Um, uh, as this releases, I, I assume it'll still be the uh, most current episode, but uh, we've just done an audio drama for Christmas. We do this every year for charity, and uh, we've got some guest appearances in this year's Christmas play. It's uh, Dog 2, Gone But Not Forgotten. Uh, it's recorded in support of Missing People, which is a wonderful charity, which helps, uh, as the name would suggest, bring missing people back home, and they do a special drive around Christmas. So uh, if you want to donate to the charity, it's justgiving.com forward slash absent. And please donate just whatever you can uh, to this really wonderful course and bring some more people home for Christmas that they deserve. Uh, but we got some cameos in there. So we got David Warner and uh, Sylvester McCoy at Sci-Fi Weekender to record a little message about the charity. So they're involved in the play. I've got an actual doctor in it this year, which was just so special. And obviously for the Star Trek content, we've got uh, David Warner. Uh, we've got John Leeson who played K9, uh, plays a small part in the play. 
uh, and a few other little cameos along the way. Uh, and it continues on from our story we did last year, but you don't need to have listened to that because it's kind of its own story, much in the same way we're talking about here. Uh, the two parts work together, but they are their own separate entity. Uh, but you can jump in on this second part, and there's a little kind of like last time on um, Gallifrey Stan's Christmas play. Uh, Sergeant Benton's just come to join us because he's very excited about this. Uh, he's <laughs> just to the studio. Um, and yeah, so um, sorry, I'm being a bit distracted by dog. Uh, yeah, so yeah, please please listen to it and donate whatever you can. And if you go to uh, Gallifrey Stands podcast feed, you can listen to that right now or just to your favourite podcatcher and look up Gallifrey Stands. And, and I have actually put in one little reference to uh, one of the Star Trek movies, which I hope you guys, if you've listened, have got. If not, listen and, and look out for that. We will do. And uh, yeah, if you want to get on that, if you look in our episode notes, there's a link to Gallifrey Stands in there. I bet you can, of course, find it all the ways we've we've just talked about. So, shall we go back then to part two of Chain of Command, which is where it gets really interesting. We we start out with the interrogation sort of begins with the truth serum, you know, and this is to me this does just become psychological warfare, really, between Madrid and Picard. It goes way beyond actually trying to get information, you know, because what he does in this opening bit, he injects him with this serum, true serum, asks him the questions. So effectively, if, if if we assume that this true serum works the way it's supposed to work, he's already got everything he's going to get out of Picard. And it, it just becomes about b- breaking him later on. And I think that's a really interesting dynamic to play out between the two of them yeah, it's, yeah like obviously he does want some information he wants to know defense strategies which it turns out picard doesn't actually know well that's it yeah but it's, it does it just goes to right i don't want to find out anything from you anymore i'm just going to break you so you will do whatever i say yeah that's that's what it becomes but as I say, in these opening scenes, we don't quite get to that yet, but I find it interesting that we see the Cardassian methodology here, you know, we see a little bit of the psychology of them as well, that it's, okay, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do for the reason I need to do it, which is I need this bit of information, I think you've got it, I'm going to try and elicit it, but then it becomes... I'm going to try and set you down, <laughs> kind of thing. He essentially wants the car to become his bitch, really, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's for me, it's the way they do it, which is really nice. So you kind of go on the journey of, to begin with, he is definitely trying to find information. And you can even say that uh, they don't know with human biology and with the amount they need to give the truth serum. And, you know, they could be working out. It's like, is he really broken at this state? You know, is he actually giving us all this information? Yeah. Is he taken? And maybe, you know, to begin with, you could justify the four lights business, five lights being about trying to work out if he's broken him, if he's like taking the truth, you know, if, if he's really got control of him. But then as it moves on, you slowly kind of like it's revealed that he is just doing this because he wants to have, you know, control over him. And, you know, obviously it's it's especially brought to light at the end when he knows, like, you know, I know I'm jumping ahead a bit, but like when he knows that he's being set free and he's still trying to break him, it kind yeah. of like crystallizes it. It's definitely. Yeah, yeah. 
break him. But to begin with, you can justify what he's doing as being interrogation. And as it goes on, it's just the more Picard breaks him, which is the genius of yes, it. Yes, it is. And the more Picard gets under his skin, the more you can see it's a, ven- it's a personal vendetta. And I love the way they do it. So it isn't just straight away they show him as being a big-headed guy who's just trying to break Picard. But it's the more Picard breaks him, the more he's determined to break Picard. Yeah. And this is, I mean, this starts quite early with, you know, once we get back from the teaser and everything, we get Madrid sort of makes this offer to Picard. You know, we'll give you an easy ride, basically, if you give us the answers. And Picard obviously refuses. And that's when he literally strips him of his clothes, but metaphorically, and he's, you know, he says it outright to him, I'm stripping you of everything, you know, I'm not going to give you, I'm I'm not going to afford you any rank, identity, name, nothing. And he reduces him just to his species, to human, and that's it. And that even, I think we probably will jump about a bit in this second half because so much of it thematically ties together, but... You know, that comes in when he brings his daughter out and it's like when he shows Picard to his daughter, he's saying, look at this human thing. You know, it's kind of like an animal. It's, he isn't even acknowledging really Picard's sentience, his individuality, which is obviously something we touch on on Star Trek so often. It's the brutality and the absoluteness of racism which you see in it, really. Because he says it's like they don't feel emotions or pain yeah. like we do. And that's straight up racist stuff. Like, you know, they, you get, uh, that's been shown in history. Like, uh, well, I'm present, unfortunately, you know, white, white supremacists treat black people like, you know, or anyone of color. Like they talk about them as if like, Oh, they don't feel pain. They don't process it. They don't uh, understand yeah. it the way we do. And they treat them like they are something completely other. And that's just like, again, it's, it's classic Star Trek to have these allegories to our lives and to what's happened in our history and sadly present to, to show that in that way. It is, and it's even more frightening that you see him instilling this upon a child, you know. Yeah, he's quite happy to, for his yeah. daughter to see and that this guy is being tortured. And a child will accept what, you know, largely what the parents tell them. So if you say to a child, this species doesn't feel this, doesn't feel that, doesn't feel the other, you will believe that. And that's frightening that, he's passing that on to a new generation of children who are going to feel the same way. You know, that in and of itself, basically, we would see it as child abuse, but... And well, f- go on. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, I mean, it, to me, it, it strikes a chord with something which I've seen, because as the right has gained more power and even kind of like... Uh, I mean, I think it's worrying how much they kind of like... Uh, racism's getting franchised and like all this kind of like uh, phobia against uh, LGBT people and all this stuff. Uh, people keep on saying, like I, I kept on seeing on these lefty shows which I watch, saying like, um, oh yeah, but, but the trend is towards uh, liberalism and towards more rights and everything. I go, yeah, but that's only because that's what's been in place. We've had successive governments, which no matter how much you agree or disagree with them, have, whether they've been on the left or right of things, have kind of... Um, stood up for rights of people and you know like generally just in very general terms like you know lgbt rights have been uh, increased over the years as we've seen it and just taking as an example but same with race rights all this stuff 
the second you stop doing that, the second more people are getting born into a world where that is the norm of yeah. not respecting people's rights in that way. And that's where you get this dangerous. So, so that, that is, in one scene, that kind of shows against that argument of like, oh, well, the trends are all going towards more liberalism. No, that only keeps on happening if you have liberalism represented. And so I think this one scene actually, sh you know, you could get a lot from that for me. No, I agree with you. I mean, it, it does. And the, the frightening thing is that Star Trek was looking at these things 20 years ago and we're still wrestling with these things now. And you hit the nail on the head there where you talked about, you know, this idea of the other. And that is what the, particularly the far right, but any sort of, uh, I don't know, choose my words carefully, but any government or figurehead or whoever who wants to push their own agenda does engage in setting up an other to be the fall guy for things. And the Cardassians do this over and over again. You know, we've seen they've treated the people of Bajor like this. And we if their attitude to humans is the same as it seems to be it's it's a frightening idea that they they act like that to to other people around the galaxy and it does resonate with things that unfortunately still go on in the real world and it you know we're talking about star trek foretelling it but go back a stage you know the four lights thing is very similar to what you get in 1984 where they have the, the is he called uh, Winston Smith or something, the yeah. main character in 1984? And they, they make him repeat 2 plus 2 equals 5. And the idea is that he will repeat that until he believes it to be so. And what we've got here is just a visual representation of that, you know, and it's yeah. it's frightening that these themes keep, keep coming back over and over and over. And tying into what you're talking about, like... Uh, you know, what we're seeing in society and the way it drifts and everything. And you, know, you particularly see, we've talked um, about, there's a lot of sort of right-wing media who bash Star Trek, they bash Star Wars, whatever. But the point is, if these people keep putting their message out there and out there and out there, people start to believe it just through repetition, you know, and you've got that in microcosm in this episode. And, you know, we'll, when we get to the end of the episode, we'll talk about, the effect it has on Picard, but it, it is absolutely fascinating how he's trying to manipulate him psychologically. And it, you know, it all starts with this, we'll strip you of your rank and everything, then it goes on to the four lights. And it's just really interesting stuff. Um, if I might, just on that note, like you said about how sci-fi is seen and kind of this kind of programming, I think actually... David Warner is a fantastic example of this. The actors who I admire the most are the ones who are willing to go into any genre if the script's good. They yeah. don't see like it as a sci-fi show. They see it as a good script, and that's how it should be seen. I think any actor who discounts a show because it's science fiction or comedy or whatever it is, just because the genre as opposed to the quality of the work alone, you're not the best actor then. Yeah, I'm sorry. If you... If you see a thing based on drama not based on that individual script i don't think you're truly yeah. the best actor the best actor will go wherever yeah. for a good story but, absolutely but they can have any quality to it because of that I oh yeah that's different if you think there's just a but that's turned down to the part you think you're not right for the part but that's a different thing but like there's some actors who look down on a genre because it's, it's a genre thing whereas i i mean i think that's becoming less and less the case now the marvel movies have shown how 
spectacular these things can be and how they can be about the human drama even though they've got this wonderful spectacular spectacle they've got this wonderful kind of like sci-fi setting what's at the heart of it's always a human drama and i think that's what shines through and what makes these actors so great is they will go anywhere for a great story well the thing is with this you could take the script of chain of command 2 and you could do a search and replace program and with a couple of tweaks you could set this in an occupation camp in nazi germany you could set it in guantanamo bay and you could have every single thing that happens exactly the same and uh, you know all you need to do is change a couple of words it's it yeah, is. part one, you just have Jer- Jericho being a... Uh, Jellico. Jellico, sorry, coming from... <laughs> why do I, I keep on wanting to say Jericho? Because you're a big he, fan he, of Chris Jericho, the wrestler, clearly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he just has to be going across from another ship on the sea. And, yeah. you know, he, yeah. it has to be another um, uh, government, uh, you know, another country they're going against. Yeah, and it's... Or you could change very easily, and yeah. it's, like I say, same story. It's not Minos Corver, it's what are the plans for the Normandy landing. You know, it's... It, it's very, very, very easily done. And you could see this as a stage show. Well, you know. there you go. When you say Second World War, when we talk about Radrid bringing his daughter in, we have the Hitler Youth. Of course, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> children following a doctrine that they're told is... Oh, yeah, it happens time and time again. And it, it unfortunately, that's what you need to do to consolidate that sort of power is get the young, get the youth on your side. But if you truly believe you are right, nothing's going to ever break that loop, no, is it? Because you're always going to believe that's the way it should be done. And that that's the other thing, is if we look at this, take a step back from it and try and look at it a bit more pragmatically, if the Cardassians legitimately believe that humans do not have the mental capacity or are not sentient and are not whatever, from their point of view, they're doing nothing wrong here. You know, and... They're wrong, because we know they're wrong, but in Gold Madrid's headspace, he isn't doing anything wrong. It's it's no different to him than stamping on an ant or whatever, which is a a frightening attitude to take. But it, it is interesting that we're getting that and we're seeing it. And, you know, you see this played out even more so with Gold Cat in Deep Space Nine and his attitude specifically to the Bajorans. Um, so they are an interesting race, the Cardassians. Well, so that's where you get, like, as well, the kind of whole argument about, like, obviously this is a a planet who has an agenda, uh, a, like, to see these other uh, life forms as lesser. But when you do have, like, for instance, say there was a liberal family on there, they might teach a good lesson to their children. That's where you get the kind of, like, lessons which your parents tell you against society. So when you get a liberal society, even if you've got a right-wing family, people can get that kind of, like, programming from young age broken. But when you've got the... The parent is obviously very... Uh, like, just let's call a space space. He's, right, he's very right-wing in this, very far-right. Yeah. But the country also... Uh, the planet is also going towards the far-right. So you've got nowhere for that kind well, of, like... The, the uh, whole planet's under military rule. That's here. But, like you say, Kardashian has a history of art and culture. Yeah. But at this period in time, the military is in control. Yeah. And the, it's just a war machine. And they've sold all the art... Yes, yeah, there's... Machine. I mean, yeah, we do obviously get into it a lot more in DS9, but... It it, It is said in this episode that they've... Yeah, they are in an interesting place, the Cardassians. So, 
moving on then sort of to let's talk about sort of the the culmination of it all and everything so what are you getting going on obviously there's been various things going on with Jellico and the the resolution to the Riker thing is that he basically has to go and ask Riker to fly this mission. So he's, he's yes. relieved he's relieved him of command, but he's got to go and go and ask him for help. And Riker takes a bit of pleasure in it. You know, there's no question. Of course, he'll do it because he's Riker and he's a good guy. But he he, he yeah. enjoys right. making Jellico squirm. Like, though, like Riker's relieved of command, but if you notice, Stacey's in commands. Top yeah, yeah. Data has been promoted at this point to first officer. Yeah. And not a thought is given towards Data's feelings when he's demoted straight away. Well, he, do, he doesn't have any. No, but he's treated differently. That's and true. To how they treat someone else is immediately. Well, we've, we've talked about this. Sometimes in Star Trek, when you get a field promotion, it sticks, and sometimes <laughs> it doesn't. And there's, <laughs> there's not an enormous amount of consistency with it. But. Um, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's it's something actually um, uh, that, that they talked about. I don't know if you ever listened to uh, Star Trek Next Conversation. Yeah, they they talked about how like uh, it depends on like well if you've gone through a ceremony, does like it or if it's just a promotion at the moment? Because like in this episode, in that bit, you get the fact that uh, Riker is relieved of his duty. He's mm. not caught martial though and no, he's a, it, and he was given a promotion but he's almost sent to his room but yeah exactly and, and it seemed it, it felt to me more like data in this instance was getting a a promotion to for this mission like it wasn't a kind of like he hadn't gone to, it was a it was an on-the-spot field promotion basically it, yeah I, I can see how that could not stick or stick yeah yeah you know i'm, I'm i don't have an enormous problem with it but to take Elliot's point, it would be interesting if this was a human character yeah. who did have feelings. Especially um, when previously they've made uh, Data a captain as well and devoted yeah. back to his, like, That was a specific, because no, they were promoting every bugger to yeah, captain in Data. Oh, you can have a promotion this week, but you're going back to your yellow I jacket tomorrow. <laughs> probably the thing is, had it been someone other than Data after this, they'd have been like, well, hang on, I deserve... By yeah. own, I deserve to be first officer on another ship now, but Data doesn't have that ambition and he doesn't <laughs> have that drive. But yeah, so it depends on the person because like Riker turned down a promotion several times. Obviously, he does, and it's it's interesting that Jellico is almost suspicious of that. You know, at first he's almost like, well, "Why haven't you taken a promotion? What's wrong with you?" And then he <laughs> uses it as a stick to beat him with later on. Like I can see why you never got your own command. Yeah, it's so. You guys talked about earlier on whose side you're on. How do you feel at the end of the whole Jellico Riker shenanigans? I'm both and neither. (laughs) Bit of dicks in this situation. They've both been dicks. Yeah. 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 No. Neither of them. Neither of them. (laughs) No. I mean, I I sort of feel the same. I mean, I. I want to take Riker's side, but I can so easily see how Riker could wind people up. Yeah. You know, we know he's a good guy, but if you didn't know Riker and you just bumped into him, you'd be like, this guy is so up his own backside and he's, you know, it, I can see why Riker would get on the wrong side of you quite easily. But 
Anyway. Jericho, like, he's a good captain. He can do his job, but he doesn't work with people. And he no. needs, like, if he's going to another ship, he needs to learn that. Even if he's the best on his ship, he needs to learn going to another ship. He might, they don't know him yet. You have to finesse people a bit. And I think it's, um, yeah, I, I think the one thing you can say is they both do their job, though. They, you know, at the end of the day, they put their egos aside and they do their job. Like, So they are yeah. still good officers, but they just engage in a pissing contest. So no, yeah, no yeah. one's a winner doing that. And so going back to Picard and Madrid then, the last few movements are we've got this thing with the egg, which is one of the most horrible images where it cracks the egg open and there's a little sort of well, fetal Cardassian bird thing in there, which is awful. Whatever. But this is, again, Madrid's control over Picard. Is I'm going to put him in a situation where he has to eat it. Yeah, it's food. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, it's horrible, but he does sort of get one over on Picard there. But this is also where his cracks start to show, because he tells this story of when I was a child, I did the same thing. And that empowers Picard, because yeah. he's like... I've got this image of you now. I will will see you as a six-year-old starving boy who gets beaten. Yeah, and that's that's really interesting. And that's where Picard breaks him even further. He goes, Picard! And he's like, ah, you call me by my name! Yes, that's brilliant. And it's during this bit as well where Madrid says, what are the um, defence systems on Minos Corva? And Picard just says, there are four lights. And he... Picard, despite having all this physical and mental torture, he is messing with Madrid at this point. I noticed watching this episode, and I hadn't noticed it before. Yeah. And it's really watching it in HD. And after he's been naked and hung up yeah. by his arms, the first scene you see him where he isn't hung up talking, he's got the, these red marks around his wrist. Right. And it looks like he's actually been properly bound. Right. And I don't know if it's really good makeup or if it's let them bind him and but, but, so he's like, but until I rewatched it in HD, it it's something yeah. I've never noticed before that they've taken the time to actually make him well, look like is, he's had these bands on his wrist. We talked about this the other week, didn't we, with um uh, the Wesley Crusher episode Final Mission and the chapped lips in yeah. that the, these HD remasters that are on Blu-ray and are on Netflix. It does show the amount, particularly with the makeup, the the extent of it, which we never got in standard def. It's fascinating. Do you know the details of how they widescreened it and they had to re... Because basically it was all cut to um, standard TV yeah, yeah. screens of the day, the square screens. The and they had to go back in and they recut the episodes to match the cut the way they'd done it originally with the widescreen shots which they had. So they got the original footage and recut it faithfully to be exactly shot for shot the same as the original. Yeah, it's no, they, they've done a, a phenomenal job with these ones. And uh, oh, The thing is, if they go back and do DS9, DS9 was shot in widescreen. Yeah, it's. I wish they would do DS9, but we, we, we've been banging that drum a long time. Well, obviously, all of them were shot in HD, because that's... Oh, sorry, in widescreen. That's why they could do it with next-gen. Well, it, no, next gen isn't. It, 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 that's why they've got those. They couldn't do it otherwise. They got the original because it was all shot in um, widescreen. That's why they had the originals to recut it. Yeah, it did, it, I mean, it it depends with. I mean, they, we could do it. Oh, we should do a podcast on remastering and stuff yeah. and talk about that at some that's point. What but, I was told is that they had the original. Yeah, uh, they, they will have done because they. 
physical cameras yeah. are widescreen. No, there's different cameras. Well, well, uh, DS9 was the first one that was shot no, widescreen. D- DS9 was shot we know in the documentary. Yeah, they, they called it widescreen friendly. But <laughs> any, anyway, this is opening up a whole different thing, I um, think. I'll deflect it then very casually because I had two things I was going to say. Just going back to Elliot's comments about the showing of the marks yeah. around this yeah. and things like that. Now, my thought was perhaps, perhaps actually they haven't done the makeup. Perhaps he just had a really good weekend. And, uh, <laughs> he came in and they said, "Right, what can we write around?" Uh, oh, and Beverly was that. practicing her yeah. sedu- seduction so techniques for in it. case she encounters <laughs> any aliens. Please get around. And the other thing was, um, no matter how many times you watch that episode, I still find myself sitting there going. When they say how many likes, going, no, don't say it, don't say it. Don't <laughs> yeah. it. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is, I mean, this is the thing. And it, it, his final sort of defiant shout of there are four lights at him is, you know, it, Picard's won. And yeah. you get Madrid being so desperate when he hears the people coming and he's lying to him. And, you know, and he does it earlier on, oh, we'll torture Dr. Crusher instead of you. And it. Mm-hmm. He's desperate at that thing. He's like, I've got a few seconds left to try and break this man, and he, he does. He tries breaking right to the very does. end, and that's it. But it's it has just become. I just want to win now. I don't care. The from his perspective, his mission has failed. He has not got this information, which because Picard never had it. Also, whatever the Cardassians' plan was has failed. Jellicoe's done this thing with the mines and everything. And it is just, I just want to try and get one over on him right at the end. And, and there's that pause which uh, Patrick Stewart does and Picard does, uh, which they then kind of obviously, they kind of like talk about right at the end. He just pauses for a minute, like mm. where there's kind of like before they burst through the door. And there's that moment where he, like, you know, he reveals later he was going to break. Yeah. Like, and it's only because well, those guys burst through at that moment, he shouts, there are four lights defiantly. But that's. Like he has actually succeeded in breaking he it. He has just one moment, but he doesn't ever know it. That's what's so and beautiful about it. Picard, even though he's been broken, the, 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 the doll doesn't get the satisfaction. Yeah, yeah. He says, "You know, I yeah. actually did almost. You know, I did, I did see five lights." And that's that's what makes it really, really fascinating for me because Picard at this point is broken. He is believing that he's seen five lights. But when he knows he's rescued, he thinks, I'm not going to let him have the satisfaction. And even though I now believe there's five lights, I'm going to say there's four because I know that's not what he wants to hear. And that, it, in a way, shows incredible vulnerability, but it also shows incredible bravery because he, he has been broken and he's believing the wrong thing, but he's got the faith to say, no, there's four, because he, he knows that that must still be the truth, even though it's not how he's feeling. And also he knows that that'll, he'll win if he says that. So, you know, it, it, there's some incredible stuff going on in terms of Picard, what's going on in his head and everything. It it really is, you know, it's phenomenal. And doing it, doing a character study like this <coughs> on a TV show is... It was nearly unheard of when this came out, and it's still rare now that you get this much depth in it. And and you know we we've correctly shouted out all the actors and how wonderful everyone is in it. But uh, just props to who? Do you know who wrote this one? Because this is just such a stunning script. That's true, uh, actually. I will uh, get the uh, name for yeah. you. 
I think they deserve um, so much props for, for the way it's just uh, it's put together, it's structured, what it covers in such a, 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 a concise way. So there's so much stuff covered, but it doesn't, nothing's overwritten or nothing's kind of wasted in this episode. Okay. It's all very tight. So sorry to interrupt, but I have it as the writer credits as Gene Roddenberry. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, created by... Uh, yeah. And Ronald D. Moore. Uh, Ronald D. Moore, that's no surprise. Ronald D. Moore's brilliant. Which makes he, sense, because he then went on to DS9, didn't he? He went on to DS9. And, and DS9 he, actually, like, this is... The first episode of DS9, chronologically, comes straight, straight after this. And Ronald, Ronald D. Moore also did Battlestar Galactica, yeah. which deals with many of the same issues. And but when you, when you look back, like... I know how we got it when it was first shown. We didn't see, like... We didn't have D- Next Gen on and DS9. No. We we had all Season 6 of Next Gen, and then I think they launched DS9 afterwards. So we didn't see it like this. No, we didn't and, have and the synergy of But this is perfect. Ronald D. Moore's written a Kardashian episode right before the start of DS9, which would be the next one shown on TV. That was Kardashian's... So we're getting a really good introduction to them from... And it's... it's. I mean, we'll touch briefly on Emissary, then Deep Space Nine. It's the next time, chronologically, we see Picard. He's having this meeting with Cisco, And yeah. Cisco basically, is giving him a load of stick about how, when he was Locutus, uh, he killed his wife. And when you look at where Picard's mind must be, he's just gone through this hugely traumatic experience with the Cardassians... His next thing is, right, you've got to go into Cardassian space to an old Cardassian station and you're going to have a meeting with a guy whose wife you killed when the previous most traumatic thing in your life (laughs) happened. It it puts a new spin on those scenes in Emissary, certainly. I mean, there's there's already the great justification of obviously he's meeting someone who was deeply affected by his experience when he was taken over by the Borg. Uh, that that's enough for that performance that he gives. But then you add that extra layer of he's just been tortured, and yeah, as you say, he's in a Kardashian space station <laughs> yeah. just after being tortured by Kardashians uh, on Cardassia. You know, uh, so the 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 uh, surroundings will be familiar to that kind of like that situation. And uh, yeah, you 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 even notice the way that Picard is speaking is very kind of like. Very practically, there's not a lot of kind of like fluidity in the way he's speaking. He's not not kind of like speaking very flowingly. He's very kind of like, do you know what I mean? He's kind of kind of withdrawn yeah. in his thing. He's very commanding, but he's very. And this of, also brings us to our DS9 episode. We did cover the Q episode where we have O'Brien asked how he is. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. He goes, oh yeah, he's great. <laughs> yes, yeah. And, seems... and that's like, was it third or fourth episode? Uh, yes, yeah, so five. So it's only six. a month later. But the last time O'Brien saw him. He'd just been in chain of command. Yeah, Picard's not in a good place at the moment. You know, and when you say, like, the way he acts in those scenes with Cisco, it's, again, it's an incredible performance because Picard knows that he was kind of in the wrong way. He knows he's not responsible for what Lacutus did, but he does... He uh, for it. Yeah. He, and so his attitude is, yeah, I'm going to take whatever Cisco throws at me because there is no way on this earth that I can justify what happened, yeah. you know, even though he knows it's not technically his fault. You know, it's, it's just wonderful, it's wonderful feeling stuff. It. Yeah, it, you know, it's incredible stuff. So I think that more or less brings us to the end of the episode. Uh, 
But yeah. anything else, Squee, Nicola, anything else you want to bring in before we, we wrap up? No, I've got nothing. I mean, other than it was a, I loved it. Great, great episodes. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, you, you know, I believe you're just about in a bit play uh, the interview we had with yeah. David Warner and just, just we were all around there at the time. Like, you know, you, you very kindly said I interviewed him, but we we're all there and uh, you guys kind of yeah, chip yeah. and the interview and um, just, just, Again, the, the kind of modesty of this guy and the level of performance he gives here, he gives all the credit to the writers, yeah. which he is so responsible for. How <laughs> wonderful that performance is with four days to prepare. It's it's ludicrous. It's unfairly talented yes. to do that, that performance within that amount of time. And him, yeah, again, it just, just, as I said earlier, it gets back to him and uh, Patrick Stewart just facing off each other and just do, giving a tour de force between the two of them. It's It's amazing. Yeah, um, so we'll we'll play the interview. We'll give you a listen to all of that. Here's another nice bit that we missed from like the first episode, and I like data okay. where he just stabs Geordie straight in the back when oh, Jellico asks him to uh, sort out the engines. He wants more efficiency. And Geordie sort of oh oh, and, <laughs> and data straight away. Well, if you do X, Y, and Z, it's easy. I like that too. That. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the situation where you're like, oh, shut up, Data. There's <laughs> always one who drops yeah. us in it. Well, we you're can't best actually... mate, but I'll send you straight in Yeah, we back. can actually do that. And that... There's one other thing. Oh, sorry, go on, go and finish reading. I was just going to say about Geordie, because it's he acts all affronted. It's like, you are the chief engineer on the flagship of the Federation. There's a potential war brewing, and you're having a sulk because your captain wants you to work hard, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to give you credit as well because this isn't in the interview but when uh, Dave Warner had his, uh, his his panel on the on the stage later uh, uh, James you, you got up and asked him an interesting question didn't you yeah I asked him if during the interrogation scenes whether he got a good look at Patrick's package or not <laughs> I mean, admittedly, he deflected it straight away. He, he goes, did. Oh, no, no, he wasn't really naked. But um, no, I just thought to, to have the, well, pardon the expression, but have the ball to ask that, James. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was quite far away from him. I wasn't up on stage with him when I asked it. It took him a while to catch me if he'd have been affronted by it. But you know what? We've got to try and get exclusives. <laughs> like, to be fair, we did, like, was it when you asked it there or was it when we had the meet and greet? And he did say that. Yeah. It didn't look because he had like script pinned all over the set yeah. because he'd not had time to learn it. Yeah, that's true. Which is where we go back to the four days notice. Um, normally on our other show, we do a how many out of something we would rate the. Oh, okay. And I was thinking we could do a how many naked Patrick Stewarts. Just for Ian. <laughs> how many Captain's Logs out of 10? <laughs> no. <laughs> how many naked Patrick Stewarts out of 10 would you give the episode? Okay. Okay, um, I would give it eight. I would, if we were doing it in two separate parts, I'd give part two ten and part one around seven. So I think that average is out about eight. Mine yeah. would be. I thought eight when I thought about doing it. Actually, Elliot, yeah, I'd probably go with eight as well. Like we normally say, would you class this as a top ten episode that you've watched time and time again? Yes, definitely, it's up there, isn't it? It is one of the the proper great yeah. Star Trek episodes, and I think you'd be really hard pressed to find any Star Trek fan who'd argue that point against you. Yeah, 
no, I mean, I think I'm just going to go. I'm going to go even as high as nine, just because like the only bits which to me like very slightly. But they're necessary to the plot are the bits where they're doing all the commando stuff, getting yeah. into the thing. Which, I mean, they're still well written. It's just the uh, the rest of it's so out of ten. Those bits probably just, just aren't as engaging to me, but yeah. they're necessary to the plot. So I, I even go as far as nine, nine Patrick Stewart wangs out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> and I think on that note, we can probably wrap it up. So if you, if you want to get... If you want to get in touch with us, we're on Twitter at RetrekPod. We're on email, RetrekPod at gmail.com. Search for us on Facebook, stick in Retrek, and you'll find the group, which you're more than welcome to join. We'll be back next time talking about TNG on the road to Picard. Dr. Squee has his Christmas play out, as well as Gallifrey Stands still coming out every week, so please go check that out. Uh, for now then, thanks for trekking with us this time. We'll see you next time on the Retrek and Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas and thanks again for joining us again, Dr. Squee and Nicola. We loved you in uh, Chain of Command, the two-parter with uh, Patrick Stewart. Yes. You two working against each other, just amazing. Well, uh, the Chain of Command with Patrick, I repeat. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, um, I'd worked with Patrick in Stratford-on-Avon in the 60s. Okay, and uh, I was pl- I played Hamlet actually, and he didn't. <laughs> uh, and that was in '64, '65. That's a long time ago. And then la- our lives went different ways, and of course he became seriously he became a what a mega, a multimillionaire, superstar, celebrity, wonderful actor, mm-hmm. and a great star, which is fantastic. And uh, I was living in, in in America at the time, and he was doing Star Trek and it turned out I'd done the, uh, Star Trek 5 and Star Trek 6 and 4 and it turned out that uh, this episode Chain of Command was um, going to be in production and the actor who was hired to play the part that I did play fell ill so I took over from him I don't know who it was and so I had three days to prepare for it and I, I had to say to them look I'd love to do it what a compliment I've been in two of the Star Treks and with Patrick again. I said, but I can't learn it. There's just too much dialogue for me to retain it in three days. Yeah. So they wrote it up for me all over the place. <laughs> and they, yeah, it was just brilliant. So if you see it again, or anybody who, you know, is listening to it, uh, look for you watch looking around. Yeah, yeah. see, see my eyes. Because they had it all over. We rehearsed it well. So if I look down there, the lines were there. If I look there, Patrick would hold Occasionally, I you they had it written on his chest. So, so uh, you know, that was a great experience, mm. and a great, you know, with an actor coming in who who who, they, who asked for all that to happen. It was a great teamwork, not only from Patrick, who was the main actor I was with, but the whole crew were there helping this actor do his performance. It's teamwork. Yeah. So that yeah. was. Uh, yeah, that's good. Anyway, so that's, that's been my three days. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, some actors, I'm sure, could learn it all in three days. I'm just not able to do it. Mm-hmm. Look at that performance with only three days and behind well, all those prosthetics. Well, that's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's why you got Hamlet. <laughs> anyway, so. And Patrick wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know that's a joke. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 well, he did. No, because that's my. No, the joke is that Patrick didn't. But but now he's a multi-millionaire yeah. celebrity, and I. Not, you know, <laughs> yeah. no, so that's that. So that's the Kardashian. Now, yeah. any, have you got anything? Nothing to I've do got with nothing. <laughs> you're just listening. I'm just here to have a talk.
So, you've got to ask me a question, I can't just... How hard do you find it with the prosthetics? Like, having already done Gorkon, Oh, well, and, then, we, and then when the Ashes do a Kardashian, did you think, oh God, well, I've got to say? I mean, well, I didn't know. I didn't know what I can't. When they asked me, I didn't know what Kardashian <laughs> was. I didn't know, but they said, you know, it's another maker. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, it's a job. It's the yeah. It's three hours, but I was talking earlier. They've they've got it refined. The makeup people. I mean, it's not quite so uncomfortable now. Uncomfortable yeah. as it might look. Yeah. Yeah. Know, so. And then I did, I did two days on Planet of the Apes. Tim Burton did a, a, a oh, Planet yes. of the Apes, you know, which yeah. I was a, another one, you know. Like, <laughs> the makeup on that was really, so, it, it was, was incredible. Really no, no, it was great. That was great. So, yeah, I mean, but I don't want to do any more of those things. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> That's it, I've done it. You know. Any casting agents <laughs> So, next Star Trek, you're playing a human. I did yeah. in Star Trek V. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. in Star Trek V, which evidently is not the most popular, <laughs> I played a human. And then in six was Gorkon was his car, and so Klingon. And then, and then um, Chain of Fire. So I played three species, but one of them is a human being. Yeah. And people say, well, what's your favorite Star Trek film? And I say, Star Trek V. I say, <laughs> what? Yeah. Because I don't have any makeup. <laughs> William Shatner will be your friend for life for saying that Star Trek V's your favorite. Well, I always tell him everything. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently we've got one minute. Can you just tell us a bit about playing the Unbound Doctor on Big Finish? Well, I, I, you see, again, it's rather like the Star Trek. I've always been aware of it, but not a big follower of it because I'm too busy. And mm. the same with Doctor Who. I mean, I've always known about it. You know, Patrick Trout was sort of the one I would identify with, I suppose, if I was watching it every week. I didn't, you know, watch it every week. So I didn't have any kind of view on the doctor except again what's written on the page so if they ask me to do it and then i i just do it the way because the idea of doing a doctor is, is until tom baker or somebody who becomes or david tennant they mm. become their doctor mm. i can't do that so i just have to do what's written there so whatever you hear of the doctor is really the writer yeah knowing that i'm going to do it and knowing what the things i do uh, it's the writers. Uh, the writers sometimes don't get the credit they deserve. Well, it's a wonderful, wonderfully fallible doctor. Like, well, yes, but that helps you be the doctor. But but but, but that's in the writing. Mm. Yeah, it's not David Warner. I mean, I'm doing it. I'm yeah, saying yeah. it. I'm acting it. But the idea is not mine. You see what I mean? Yeah. The creation isn't mine. Mm. I'm part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't take. I mean, I love doing it. I really love doing it. I'm not a great scholar of the doctor, the whole canon, but I do what's written, and uh, and if, if I need guidance, the director will help me, and I just do it instinctively. I don't think too much about it. You know? I, I think that's something which I, I take from your work. It's like you always play the reality of what you're doing. So like in the man with two brains, it's ridiculous oh, well, over the top, and you're playing it so straight, and that's what makes it funny. Well, good, good. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you you, you try not to say hello. I may I'm, I'm making I'm trying to be funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You just do it there, and you become just, stupid. Just, <laughs> your finger stuck oh, to your face, and you just yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's the man with two brains was a great job to have. You know, uh, comedy, which is not often I get to ask asked to do. Time Bandits was a villain, but with a yeah, little bit of comedy, yeah. and I, I enjoyed doing all that. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I've been very lucky. I mean, I'm just, yeah, just as what we call being a job, a jobbing actor. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. It comes John Hurt, the great John Hurt, who I was at drama school with and have known knew, knew for years. 
he called himself a letterbox actor. And I said, what's a letterbox actor? He said, well, the script comes through the letterbox. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what's going on? And then I act. <laughs>